welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm Aline Sims, your host, and today I'm joined by Julie Horvath. Julie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So, Julie, who are you? Um, well, that's such a hard question. Isn't it loaded? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little loaded. Um, so I am a designer and a front-end developer uh, for a company called And Yet. I also do a, um, a ton of speaking at conferences and volunteering to teach more women to code. Um, I'm also the creator and organizer of the of Tech's first all-female um, talk series, Passion Projects. Awesome. So can we talk about Passion Projects just a little? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about... Um, how you got the idea to create passion projects. Well, first, I guess, talk a little bit about what they are and then tell me how you got the idea to do them. Okay, so um, originally I was having a really tough time getting used to uh, the the aggressive nature of being in sort of a male-dominated environment and um, really wanted to hear from some female engineers or uh, women engineers who, you know, were kind of seasoned and used to working and also uh, being successful in, in tech and in male-dominated uh, companies. And so I got the idea. I really wanted to do sort of an internal talk series originally of just, you know, female engineers who um, would come and talk to my engineering team about, you know, building uh, a great engineering culture, one that's friendly toward women and just all marginalized people in general. Um, and then eventually I realized, oh, well, like this would be really great to share with the community. And then I really um, thought more about it and decided that it shouldn't just be about engineering um, because I feel like a lot of roles that aren't engineering focused tend to be sort of um, downplayed in technology companies because they're not seen as, you know, roles that are... Um, producing high value a lot of times. That's why, you know, community managers and um, business side uh, employees tend to be paid less. They tend to be respected less. And unfortunately, those tend to be the roles that women hold at companies. And so I really wanted to put more emphasis on the idea of the fact that or the idea that every role at a company contributes to the bottom line or to how a company is perceived and also the value of that company and um, I wanted to kind of reinstate some more value in, the, in those roles because I believe in them and I came out of a marketing position. So um, I know how much or how important they are. So I decided to invite um, women who do various jobs in technology to come and talk about their experience coming into tech, um, sort of the lessons they've learned along the way and kind of give them the floor to present, you know, projects they're working on now or pitch the GitHub community on um, and things they're excited about. And what I really loved, so I watched a couple of them last night um, kind of in preparation for talking to you. And what I really loved about it was it wasn't about, oh, I'm, I'm a woman and I'm, I'm being mistreated. It was about, here's the thing I'm working on. This is why I think it's really cool. And, you know, kind of that, that emphasis on, on the, the mistreatment or the, the hard work that, women have to do to be recognized was, you know, secondary or even not part of the conversation, at least on the couple of them that I watched. And I really, I love that because we get, I think sometimes we get lost in the weeds, you know, like 
like I'm being mistreated, but I think it's really important to emphasize here's, here's the cool stuff. Here's, here's what I think is neat. And that's part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast too. Yeah. I mean, no one likes talking about being a woman. Like it's the worst thing. Like if people, you know, were to invite me um, to a conference and say, talk about being a woman, um, it would really kind of put me off. And that's not exciting to me. Like I'm very proud of being a woman, um, very proud of being a feminist, but I really love the work I do too. And I think it's kind of disenfranchising the way that women are pushed to always talk about being a woman in tech. Um, it makes you feel like that's the only way that you'll be heard and the only thing that you can kind of... The only um, way you're adding value. Yeah, and that's ridiculous because um, women do bad things. And I knew personally a bunch of women who were doing kick work and um, really thriving in tech. And I really wanted to surface their experiences and their work as well um, because I think it's you know important that women be seen as, as core contributors and as people being really important decisions, not just there to talk about being existing, have in existing in tech being the only adding value. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So um, how did you start? Did you just like email a bunch of friends and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Will you come talk? Or how did you get started with it? So I actually didn't know a lot of the women that I invited to speak the first time around. Um, I was really interested, you know, I had been following a couple people on Twitter and everything since the beginning of my career and maybe thought, and you know, thought, well, that's where I should start is women who inspire me and then hopefully get um, some more sort of uh, suggestions from the community and start being more inclusive in that process. So the first um, round of invites that went out were actually, uh, I wanted I wanted women to feel really, really awesome about the work that they're doing because I don't think that we get recognized as often, you know, as as men do, you know, on things like Hacker News. Um, and so we're, we're also scrutinized in a way that I think is really unfair uh, when we do, you know, commit code to an open source project. Um, often the... the uh, the, the fact that we're women called out even in pull requests sometimes, like, whoa, a woman, you know, and, and I didn't want, I kind of wanted women to be recognized for their work and specifically their work. And so I, um, I put together this sort of, uh, not cheesy, but, uh, really nice, um, gift box where I put like a bunch of GitHub stickers in there and I put, um, a sweatshirt that was staff only at the time. And I had like the Octocat and, um, uh, it was pink or whatever. And, you know, pink can be really empowering for some people. And I thought it was like a cool kind of spin on it. And I, I designed this printed um, invitation that said, hey, uh, you know, uh, we're really stoked on the work you're doing. And we would love if you would come speak at this thing. Um, it was scary because, you know, without having any speakers lined up, I was really worried that everyone would say no or no one would reply at the time. I did some like really probably now that I think about it, weird kind of looking at people's office addresses, uh, asking friends for their addresses to mail them. Like it was really creepy at the time, but I really, I really wanted people to be surprised. I didn't want it to just be another email in their inbox, you know, like, uh, women who are really visible in tech get blanketed with, you know, you're a woman, come speak at our conference emails all the time. And I really wanted them to know that we had single hand, like we, as an I had single handedly, um, picked them in, and kept them in mind for, you know, for who they are, not just the fact that they're a woman. Um, and we wanted to kind of bring them into, into the GitHub community, but also, you know, lend them this platform to talk about whatever they wanted. 
Um, so that was really awesome and uh, a really great experience. I'm not a, by trade a print uh, designer, and so it was actually really stressful for me. But I was really proud of the end product, and um, it was funny. I so I shipped all these out and having no idea whether or not anyone would reply. And um, started seeing, once people started receiving the packages, seeing people post on Twitter about it. And they were, like, taking pictures of, like, the little gift box and the invite. Um, and we're talking about it on Twitter, which I thought was a really great byproduct of um, the experience because it, you know, kind of got people, like, hey, what's, People's what, attention. Is this passion, yeah, yeah. what is this passion projects thing? And um, generated a little buzz around it, which I thought was really cool. And it was just cool to see them excited about being sort of not chosen, um, but like being someone being grateful for the work that they're contributing to, you know, the industry and the community. And so, um, yeah, so it was an awesome experience. And then people I'd written at the bottom of the invitation, you know, if you're interested, um, yeah. So I had, uh, I started getting, you know, all the replies from people and, um, saying that they would be honored. And I think one cool thing that I ended up doing for this series was I got GitHub to pay for, um, for their trip out to San Francisco and uh, kind of give them sort of a lavish experience, which I thought was really awesome. Like, that's what, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that that it kind of lowered the barrier for them to say yes as well, uh, because because women are are marginalized in general. Um, it's a little harder to say to say it's a little harder to say yes to things, um, especially things that take you away from your life. Uh, even doing a podcast, even you know. Um, going to have coffee with someone, those things become a little more difficult um, when, you know, you're not making top dollar or you're not as visible as other people in the community or doing that other type of work isn't appreciated by your employer. Um, and so for me, it was a great thing to be able to offer that to women and, um, you know, to point them out and say, hey, you're really awesome and to also make it really easy for them to say yes. And so, um, yeah, so I got a ton of, I think only like one person said no uh, the first time around. And so that was really shocking to me. Um, what an awesome feeling. Yeah, I mean, it was a great feeling. Uh, rewarding on so many different levels. Uh, I was like, I felt so unworthy at the time. And so it was it was really cool. And then, and then came time to actually ship it, right? To actually like make it a thing. Um, and I had actually gotten, just had surgery and, um, I gotten, uh, was starting getting the replies and I was like, oh, shit, I actually have to like do this. This is something that has to happen. And I had already set like a first date and had a secured a speaker for that just in case no one said no. Um, and it actually ended up being somebody who I would later work with, which was really a great, um, feeling. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I was like just getting out of bed and like coding up a little, really simple website so that there was something on the internet because, as we know, if it's on the internet, it's real. It's so for, yeah, it's legitimate. <laughs> it's legitimate, right? Yeah. Uh, cred. And so, um, yeah, I was writing the blog posts on the GitHub blog and everything. And, um, I was just so nervous because I think that things that have to do with diversity are just criticized so heavily. Um, and, and rightly so in some cases, but I was just so nervous that it would be, um, the reception would be negative or something, but I knew that it was important. And so that kind of helped drive me, um, to do it. And it was awesome. Um, our first, our first talk was fantastic and I was really nervous and I still got nervous, like even doing interviews with people until the very, you know, last talk that we had, 
um, I I would just get so nervous because these are all people that I really respected. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I I think it was rewarding, um, for me as well in that way. Well, and it seems like it was really well received by the audience, you know, Oh yeah. you know, there were, there were people there, they were engaged, they were asking questions. Um, one of them I watched was, I can't remember who who it was, but she was talking about community and, you know, said said something about, you know, don't send send text only emails. And and someone was like, wait, 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 go back to that. You know, this this is my question. Go back and 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 tell me, you know, because I don't know what you mean. And I really liked that that people felt like they could they could go and they could ask questions of, you know, you're the speaker, you're obviously an authority on this, but um, I have I have what you might think is a basic question, and they felt comfortable doing that, and I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah, oh definitely, yeah. We definitely, or I definitely did a pretty decent job of building a really like comfortable environment, and also just a like, rad community. Like the people that naturally gravitate towards effort, like efforts like these are just the greatest people. It's sort of self-selecting in that way. They're people who believe in your cause, who want to do more to promote women in the industry, and and also people who really need need better support, um, which I find are a lot of women in technology, especially right now. And so, um, yeah, it was so amazing to be able to do that, especially on GitHub's dime. Like, it was like a great way, um, because I wasn't going through, you know, the best experience there at the time. So it kind of did a good, like, it helped me counterbalance my, feelings about my own situation, um, which was just fantastic. I don't know. It was great, again, putting money and resources back into the hands of women in our community. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of read through your blog a little bit um, in preparation for, for talking to you. And um, there's a blog post that you wrote on July 9th, and it, it touches on po- passion projects and um, and, you know, when you talk about them, the feelings that, you know, kind of surface around that about it's about negative experiences that you've had that that helped you find the drive to to create the passion projects. But what I thought was really interesting was your your first sentence was, "I didn't grow up believing I could do anything I wanted to." Yeah, <laughs> that was so. So let me tell you a little bit about me and why that touched me so much. Is I'm from a very rural small town, and um. In fact, I was having a conversation about this not too long ago. You know, people are, I think we were all encouraged to go to college. You know, my graduating class was like 24 people, tiny, tiny town. And I think, I I was actually thinking earlier today, maybe half of us graduated from college. We were all encouraged to go, but um, not many of us actually graduated. And the expectation in the town where I grew up is that you either move away because there aren't any jobs there really, or you come back and you become a farmer, you marry a farmer, or you commute 70 miles a day to go, you know, to the next town over to work. And so you're, what you wrote about kind of resonated with me, you know, you weren't encouraged to go to college. Um, So what has it been like kind of breaking out of that, those set, set, the set of expectations you grew up with? Oh, God, it's been um, amazing. Like, I've always been sort of fearless in the worst way, like, probably too fearless. Like, I think that I put myself into some pretty, like, not dangerous, but I don't know, like, 
questionable? Heart, heart-wrenching situations because of the fact that I'm, I've always sort of rejected those ideas. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, growing up, um, I sort of had like the opposite experience of you where I grew up in a very like urban community. Um, but it was one that was definitely like low income, like low resources, like very, very few resources for kids. Um, especially our schools, just not the greatest schools. And, and so they were really given sort of the basic, this is what you'll probably go on to do. Um, and most of the kids where I grew up, like got out of high school, got married, had kids work like really, um, blue collar jobs. Um, definitely not farming. We don't have a lot of farming in Hayward, but, um, we have, uh, you know, there's a lot of like warehouse drives. We have a big industrial, um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, community there, I guess. Um, and so a lot of like business centers and so uh, a lot of tunnel warehouses. And so that's what kids that, you know, I went to high school with ended up doing, I mean, there's always, there's a, a lot of outliers as well, um, who went on to do other things, but it was interesting because I noticed that as I, kind of became more and more successful and moved away from those, the ideas of what I could achieve. Um, I found fewer and fewer people like me, um, especially as I became more senior in my job roles as well. Uh, it just seemed like there were fewer people, um, who are multicultural or, um, you know, biracial or triracial or whatever. Um, and there are also fewer people with shared experiences. Um, so it's been, it's been actually really challenging to find people that I can relate to, especially mentors and people to look up to because, you know, as I've mentioned in a few of my blog posts as well, is like you have to have that in common with, um, you know, you have to have that shared experience. You have to have that connection to, to your mentors in order to really believe that you can do the things that they can, they've done. Um, because there are things that we don't see every day, you know, that aren't as visible that that prohibit us from sort of moving up the corporate ladder and also being included in, you know, in in the cool kids club and that and I find this at startups all the time. It's like if you're not friends with the right people, that damages your success and the likelihood that you're friends with someone is going to come a, it's going to happen as a result of either shared interests or shared experiences and um you know, it becomes you know, really hard if you don't have those things. Yeah, it definitely, definitely does. And in fact, for me, even because I didn't have anything in common with the people I grew up with, like I was, I was interested in science fiction. And, um, you know, I read a lot. And that's just not something that a lot of people did, you know, my peers did. And so now going back into that space is really uncomfortable with for me. You know, every time I visit, visit my mom, it's, it's, um, it's hard. But on the other hand, you know, I, I live in the Phoenix area now and it's huge and, and people don't, don't get it. They're just like, I don't, they've always grown up in, in an urban environment. And so I feel kind of between two worlds, um, you know, in, in that respect. I, I definitely relate to that as well. Like I, I mean, I noticed this at like my first startup. I was really similar to growing up where I was really into reading and I was kind of, I was always considered a huge nerd, which is hilarious because now I'm surrounded by nerds and I'm considered the least nerdy. And, and it's, it's this really weird, yeah, it's this really weird dichotomy where it's just like you never really fit in. And I, <laughs> like, I noticed this at my first startup. Um, I mean, it was all like white dudes, you know, in, and, um, in, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Um, and, 
And it's funny because I grew up around like zero white people. And so to like in my world, it was just always funny to make white jokes because that was all like that just was the funny part. Um, and I went into my first startup and like, that was still my sense of humor. And then it really, it became very, very clear to me it wasn't <laughs> that, well that wasn't very funny yeah, because everyone was white. Um, and then it just felt harsher when people did bring up, you know, racist things. I'm, I'm, um, I'm half Latina. And so I find it, it's like a little hard for me to be in the startup environments in general because there tends to be very few people of color. And um, it makes me uncomfortable. And I think it's kind of crazy that it doesn't make people uncomfortable in a lot of situations. Like I recently moved from San Francisco to Seattle um, because I was having a really hard time living in San Francisco not just because of, you know, expenses. I always say like San Francisco is the only place you can have a six figure income and still feel completely poor. Um, it's insane and out of control. But the thing that bothered me more than the living expenses was, um, just the monoculture that's being created there used to be, you know, San Francisco used to be this place of, you know, profound diversity and you can be anyone you want to be. And, um, it's a safe haven for people who are, are used to being outsiders and it's not that way anymore. Um, it's changed dramatically in the last, you know, five or six years, um, at least since I had lived there. Um, and I found that just, I would go to bars or parties and there would just be zero brown people there. And it just made me really uncomfortable. It's almost like the opposite of what a lot of people in tech feel. Um, and, I, yeah, so that's why I made the decision to move. Like I, I was also around because I look white, like people say a lot of racist shit on me or stuff around me. And I, uh, I just, it hits me so much harder because they don't, they don't think what they're doing is wrong. Like a lot of people in San Francisco right now love the environment. They love the monoculture because it represents them. Um, but for those of us who it doesn't represent, it makes it so much harder to be there. Um, I believe, uh, Julie Pagano, I think, said something like, you know, uh, for marginalized people, showing up is a form of activism. And for me, in a lot of cases, that was absolutely, you know, what it felt like. Like, it felt like getting out of bed and going to these company offices where, you know, there are just no people of color or, or women represented um, in, in roles. Like, it was, it was a form of activism. Showing up is a big form of activism, um, and yeah, it just became too overwhelming, I think, for me after a while. Like, it wasn't just like a, oh, well, you guys just don't get it thing um, for me anymore. It became sort of abusive and, and hard. Um, I had, like, a very specific um, example is, like, I went to this kind of geek night thing um, at, on this boat in Alameda. And I was thinking, oh, East Bay. Like, I grew up in the East Bay. Like, it's usually a pretty diverse um uh, area independent of what city you're in on the East Bay, but I went to this geek specific thing and it wound up being just, you know, not diverse at all. But also, um, I had, it was around Halloween and there were a couple of white dudes dressed up as, you know, quote unquote Mexican for Halloween. And, um, just the fact that you would use someone's culture as a costume is kind of weird to me. Um, but I remember going home that night and I have these kind of breakdowns. I had one in college because I went to college in San Francisco and I experienced really similar racist things, but also, um, especially in discussions in classrooms, which 
felt really inappropriate to me. But also this geek thing, like I would, I went home and just called my mom crying. My poor white mother, you know, <laughs> like doesn't really relate, but she really wants to support She tries, me. right. Yeah. yeah. And she, and I was just like, oh, like everyone's so racist here. And I just like, it felt abusive in so many ways because, you know, I get torn down for, you know, my race or my, you know, ethnicity. And I also get torn down for being a woman. Um, so my gender and it's just all of these um, things become very um, suffocating after a while. And I feel like that's just the case with the tech industry right now. And I find that a lot of people just leave after that long. You know, it's it's the activism becomes the activism of showing up becomes it's too much burdening. Yeah. yeah, it it becomes. Yeah, it becomes too much. And especially if you don't have a safe place at work. Um, which it, which kind of dissolved, like became the case for me um, at GitHub, and so yeah, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people are kind of leaving tech and just San Francisco in general because of uh, you know sort of that monoculture. Um, yeah, and that's something that I mean, it's just got to change, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's becoming painfully obvious, but I think the thing that scares me the most is so many people don't see it as a problem. Um, because it's what they're used to, um, especially, you know, and I don't know, it's sad because so much diversity is being priced out of San Francisco right now. And so that means you don't interact with anyone who has a different type of job than you, um, different, uh, salary base, different, um, different ethnicity, different religion. Like there's just no, it's just slowly being completely priced out of San Francisco, which is just really sad. It really is because, I mean, okay, so the only times I've been to San Francisco are actually for Apple conferences. So Macworld and WWDC, um, you know, so obviously it's very saturated by tech during those times. But one of one of the cool things about going to San Francisco, I haven't been in two or three years now, is but it's always for me been seeing that diversity you're talking about and see, you know, going, going to Chinatown and going into the tea shops and, and you know, the little touristy, you know, by our stereotypical Chinese thing, but, um, but it's also walking down the street and seeing, seeing the different people. And it would be such a shame. It is such a shame that that's, you know, disappearing in favor of working in a, you know, a cool town or living in a cool town and commuting to work or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, that's sad. Yeah, it is really sad. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the attitude I think towards diversity right now is probably the worst. Um, or in tech, at least in San Francisco, is probably the worst I've ever seen it. Um, so how do how do we change that? Like, do you have any ideas? I have, you know, starting conversations, um, starting this podcast, talking about it, making people more aware. But that only goes so far. I mean. Yeah, and it's also the people, it tends to be the marginalized people the most end up having to do that work. Yeah, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I don't know. I wish I had the answer. I mean, I gave up, which is really sad, but um, I don't know. I think it's up to people who aren't, like, it's up to the people who, you know, are white and male, like, the people who aren't marginalized to look around them and understand that that's not a good thing, that sort of... um, you know, it's like, it's like in a, you know, in, in a biology, like biological sense, like it's like the different, like ecosystems need diversity to stay alive. Um, and it's just, I don't, 
I guess I just don't understand why people who are there don't see a problem with the way that it's trending, I guess. I don't know. But well, I think it's, you know, I've talked to my husband about the issue and he's also in tech. He's um, a contractor. So he works from home most of the time. And he said, you know, it hasn't really been until the last year that he's even started to notice. And and he's like, you know, he said, I, I, I just don't get why it's been in front of my face for as long as I've been not only working in the tech industry, but interested in it. And he said, but suddenly it, it's like right here. And so I'm hoping that that more. Yeah, I think it's just more people talking about it and addressing it and not being afraid to talk about it. I think the hard thing is, is like when you're, you know, person with a diverse background or a woman, like when you raise your hand and point out a problem, you're also drawing sort of negative attention toward yourself. And if you want to keep your job, like that's like, that's mostly seen as like a really negative thing and a scary thing and a dangerous thing. Um, and I don't know, I think, I think more people speaking up about their experiences, um, is, is coin is like creating momentum almost like, uh, like I'm noticing things. I mean, just like on the gender front that it are really interesting. Like, for the first time ever, I'm noticing how sort of patriarchal, um, is I used to, I don't even know how to pronounce the, yeah. Um, how patriarchal. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, language itself is, I mean, the idea that we say, you know, Hey guys, uh, instead of like, Hey, you know, and, and, and like a girl is offensive and, you know, all of these things that sort of, um, culturally and linguistically are really sort of, um, oppressive, ingrained, right? Yeah. Like they're ingrained and they're also like just really oppressive to people who don't represent, you know, the monoculture or like the primary, um, majority. So it's, it's interesting, but I, I do, I think there's like a positive shift in momentum as far as like people recognizing and recognizing these problems, but also like speaking up about them. But I think the, the majority needs to start recognizing them as problems. I think they need to be become, they need to become problems for everyone and not just the minority in tech, um, for them, for change to happen, I think. Well, I was just going to say one thing that you're doing. So you, you started passion projects, but which I think is hugely beneficial because again, it's, it's showing women doing cool things, saying smart things, solving hard problems and who have experience and a proven track record in, in doing that. But another thing that you're doing is helping women learn how to code and getting more women involved. And I think that that's also very valuable too. Um, I do have concerns like, okay, we're, we're teaching more women to code, but then we're going to kind of throw them in this industry where they're going to be beaten down. Yeah, and I feel like if you get good enough, you just get you get sick of dealing with it. And so you leave like I, that's what happened to me in GitHub. I was like, you know what? I know once I kind of craw crawled out of my hole of doubt and kind of, um, blaming myself, uh, for things, like, I think I realized like, oh shit, like I'm actually good at my job. Like I don't actually, I don't have to put up with this. Um, and so I would just hate for more women who are just coming into tech to have to do that. Like, I think like, I don't know, like to have to go through that again and again and again, because it's, it gets really tiring and it just does a number on like your psyche and your sanity and your emotional stability. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I've worked with a number of younger girls. I actually, um, 
I coached a cross country team while I was still in school and uh, I've kept in touch with those girls and now they're all sophomores going into their junior year at Cal Berkeley, which is a really big deal because they're from my hometown and we don't really get a lot of bids to Berkeley and they're really smart. And so a lot of, I've found that my job being a mentor to them has been telling them that they're good enough and they belong here. Um, because to be honest with you, I, I think that they belong here more than people who, you know, are, are not necessarily oppressive. Oppressive is a really strong word, but who are creeps and jerks and, um, aren't welcome of, you know, welcome to women, uh, welcoming to women and other minorities. And so it's just, I think, I think our job, our jobs as mentors is to just reaffirm that they belong here. Yeah. More, more so just as much or more so than people who, who just kind of were born on third base. And this is just, you know, one out of a million options for them. There's also a higher risk for, um, for people from lower, you know, uh, lower classes um, and people of color in general, there's a higher risk to choose a career earlier on in life because it's like, well, you're narrowing down your options, and then if it doesn't work out, like you don't necessarily have the money to re-educate yourself yeah, you in do? another vertical. Yeah, you're. Or I mean, I'm sorry, you're, <laughs> you're, you're. Um, yeah, I mean, coming from a disadvantaged background, like there's, it's a high, high risk. Um, and I think that if kids see that it's not a positive experience, they're less likely to choose it as well. And so I think my job has been, yeah, like this stuff sucks, but, um, you're, you, you belong here. If you want to build stuff and you want to create stuff for the web, like you belong here. Um, and showing up is a big part of that. Um, I don't know, like it's, if I show up, you know, and if I, like if I left tech after my um, whole experience. Like what would that say to younger women? Um, you know, I think I thought about that a lot when I was considering my options and, you know, I belong, I, I am so stubborn that I figured that I belong here just as much as anyone else. Like I deserve to be here. And so I'm going to stand my ground. Um, and the good thing about the internet and Twitter being sort of like this place that activism can take place is that accountability is becoming a really big deal in our community. Um, never before have I ever seen so many people being asked to step down from positions of leadership or power when they have a negative attitude towards diversity or when they when they abuse their their positions of power in order to sort of push people out, especially women and people of color, which they do. I mean, which everyone does. They don't, what they don't realize is that they're doing it subconsciously already. But when they make an active effort, they need, there needs to be consequences for that. And I think, um, you know, Twitter being a medium for social activism is becoming this incredibly powerful tool, um, which is scary to some people. I understand that, but I also think that it's incredibly empowering for marginalized people. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, I can think of three or four things just this year where I learned about it through Twitter and, and people on Twitter were saying, okay, what is going on with this? What, what investigation has occurred? What, what are you doing to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And I agree. That's such a huge positive driving force. It's uh, a little sad that, that in a lot of cases like that public accountability has to happen for some companies to do the right thing, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, it is. It's the only thing that some of us have. Um, you know, I don't have like the option to take, you know, one, I can't take everyone I have a legal issue with to court because one, 
I would be out of a job for six months to God knows when, because that's how court <laughs> court trials work. And I also just don't have the resources and the money that some of these tech firms do. Right. And most people who are marginalized don't have those things. And so, you know, it's sort of like our last option and the only source of protection, um, which I find sort of, again, like really empowering and the internet is sort of doing its, its own job in, in evening the playing field. Um, which I think is awesome and beautiful, which is what I've always loved about the internet in general, like why I work for the internet, because I think it gives everyone a voice, which is, which is so awesome. Like, I just feel like normally the way that people get a voice is, you know, they have a platform and some of us aren't born with platforms or are not gifted them based on, you know, our gender or, or affiliation with other, other people who are really privileged. And so, it's great to hear the voices of women and other marginalized people who wouldn't normally have a platform. And I learn a ton just from following other people, especially like other women and women and women of color in general on Twitter. Like I learn a ton about other cultures. I know, you know, for me, something that's really interesting is cultural appropriation. And, you know, I've found a lot of sort of allies in that space and um, through Twitter. And otherwise, I would have never been able to connect with them. We're also hearing about things that we would never hear about otherwise, right? Like, um, like crimes happening in Egypt and, and people using um, social media as this tool to get the word out about sort of things that would otherwise be contained by people with more resources or money than them. Um, I've always thought like sort of money has never been a motivator for me. And so I've just, I just feel like it's great to be able to have a voice without having to be born into sort of privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love the internet so much. And so that's, that's one reason I'm refusing to leave it because I just think that, um, we're all kind of worthy of having a voice and what we do with it is, is then how we kind of grow that voice or amplify it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like you said, it is such a, a leveling fields like Twitter, for example, you don't produce good content. People aren't going to follow you. You know, you're not, I don't know, entertaining or, or providing news or providing an alternate point of view that people think are interesting. Well, you're never going to get anywhere. It, it, it's self-rewarding, right? You're, you're doing good things. And then, you know, that helps you build your platform. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, there are also biases involved with Twitter, for example, like there, I remember, um, you know, because there are people who have are highly visible, a lot of like white men in our industry specifically, you know, are highly visible and they tend to retweet and, um, sort of like throw more support behind other white men. And so there are some biases involved, but there's a lot of power also in sort of women and people of color of like putting like sort of like, I don't know, pulling their resources, I guess. Right. Um, and, and that's one thing I've really struggled with lately is what can I do with that platform? I've been gifted this platform as a result of me coming out with my experience. And I, I've been struggling a lot with like, well, how do I, you know, how do I pay that forward? Like, how do I use that in a way um, that's beneficial to other people who are, you know, going through really tough shit and who are being treated really unfairly. Yeah, that's, that's a burden. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a hard thing, you know? Yeah, so far, so far, I've just used it to talk about my dog, which is like, well, that's good, too. Yeah, but um, 
No, but I also use it a lot to retweet other women who aren't as visible as I am in hopes that they will be in hopes that like, cause they're people, you know, I think in some way Twitter can be really unfair. There are people who are far more brilliant, who have produced far better work than me who aren't as visible. And so I'm trying to sort of lobby, I don't know, like push, like push their content to the top so that other people can discover them and their voice or they could be represented in sort of some of these really big, important conversations that are happening on Twitter. And I think that's awesome. You know, we've got, I don't know who, how many followers does Justin Bieber have? And he, you know, what, what is he really adding to the conversation? You know, whether you like his music or not, he, it's, it's not an intellectual Twitter feed, you know? So, you know, I, I, I think it's great that, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel like it's, it's, it's something that you have to think through carefully, but I think it's great that, I also think it's great that you feel that burden because, um, because it helps people. And I don't know, I'm, I don't know if you're into Harry Potter at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a Hufflepuff. Like I'm all into, to helping people and, 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 and raising people up. And I love that you're using Twitter to do that for other people. Yeah, I mean, well, so here's the interesting thing. Um, I actually have a Harry Potter tattoo. Okay. And I'm pretty pretty heavy into Harry Potter. He actually, so like those books actually got me into reading, which then got me into writing, which then got me into college, which then got me into my career in tech. So I owe a lot to J.K. Rowling. That's awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there was this great quote. Um, one of my favorite internet personalities is Philip DeFranco. I've been watching his, um, YouTube. He gave me, I don't know, like a lot of strength when I was first getting into the internet. He does sort of like a news video every day and now he's insanely popular because he's candor and he's just incredibly credible and ethical and, um, you know, supports other people. But I'm trying to find it right now. He has this amazing quote about, um, being um how like being a good person means sticking up for yourself but being a great person means sticking up for everyone um which I think is really important Uh, yeah I mean I don't know it's it's really easy to downplay the importance of Twitter in sort of these political conversations um but I I think once you're on the outside of being you know protected by a big company like I was with GitHub uh, you actually, one of your biggest sources of strength and support is the community, um, which is what I found once I sort of been excommunicated <laughs> from GitHub, um, which is such a funny way to talk about it, I guess. I think that's how it is, though, in 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 the tech industry, um, you know, with a lot of us. So I'm a remote worker at my job, and and it is building kind of this, I don't know, this building this product up, right? And that's, that's what your life revolves around. And if you're not careful, you get sucked in and soon that's all your life is. And that's kind of what I see with, with startup culture in general is just this kind of, oh my God, you know, yeah. it, it becomes, <laughs> it becomes your everything. And, and in a way, when you leave that, it is kind of like being excommunicated. It's your community, like being shunned, your community is, you know, is gone. There might be one or two people who still talk to you, you know, here and there, but everything, your foundation that you built, you know, your life on for however long, be it six months or a couple of years is just pulled out from under you. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, and, and there's such a high, um, there's such a grand amount of pressure that goes into making employees feel like it should be their entire life. You know, I mean, that's think about the reason that people feed their employees at their office so that they stay there so that they work more. Um, and I think employees get this sense of ownership to where they think it's worth it. You know, they think that they own an equal part or an equal share in these companies, but they're really just being like pawned by VCs and startup founders. Um, and it's kind of sad. Like it's really sad to watch people's health deteriorate, their social lives. And especially when it turns out that like a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure from a lot of startups for your social life to overlap a lot with your person, with your um, work life, which can be really scary because again, like you're so much less likely to speak up about something because not only are you going to lose, you know, your job or your coworkers, but you're going to lose your friends and your support system. And I went through, you know, I mean, there are women who I've got jobs who, um, literally got hired at GitHub who like completely abandoned me, um, who I thought were really close friends. And so, I mean, I'm, I think that a really good thing to stress is that people, especially women and especially people of color have support systems outside of their startups or their, their jobs. Because when, you know, when that goes away, you're right. It feels like your whole world is going to end. And I honestly think that that's what leads to startup depression and people committing suicide and all these things, because these startups and these products become their whole lives. And they don't have anything outside of that. And so when that ends or that's threatened, like it's their everything. Um, it is their everything. And it's so unhealthy. Like, it it's is. It's insanely unhealthy to work, you know, 365 days a year. It's insanely unhealthy to not be able to talk to anybody or trust anybody outside of your circle at work. Um, and it's also just really unethical if you think about it. Like I, um, there was... I mean, it's just really unfair for people to come into a company and have to devote their social lives um, to it as well as their as well as their work lives in order to just succeed or be respected. Um, sort of that breakfast club or cool kids club, you know, mentality takes place where it's like, well, if you're not in the inner circle, you know, like you can't defend yourself in a lot of conversations that come up about you. And in my experience, like if you're not willing to date anyone in the inner circle, um, you know, you're, you're way more likely, your job is way more likely to be on the line. Yeah. And it's, it's hard, right? So especially for, you know, people like us who come from like the lower socioeconomic backgrounds who, you know, we, we get our first job or our first couple of jobs and it's like, okay, well, we'll give you a salary and it's great. We've got this friendly culture. We all have, you know, fun while we get work done. And, and then you realize, you know, which I've done with past jobs, you're like, I am working 80 hours a week for, you know, basically peanuts. If I were, you know, going to compare and figure out my hourly rate, I'm not making a whole lot here. And, and what do you do? You know, what do you say? <laughs> you just, I don't know. In the past, I know I have felt stuck and, um, you know, I'm, it's sad, but that's, how it is. And we need to, we need to break out of that. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's really because <laughs> it turns out if you have a healthy, like work-life balance and you, um, you know, are contributing to things outside of your, you know, immediate like tech job, you're actually, the work you end up doing in that job is a lot better. Um, it's a lot better. It's a lot more high value. It's, um, I don't know, in my, in my, you know, when, when I, in my experience, when I'm able to step away and really live, like live my life, I am so much happier to do the work that 
is a part of my job and I'm so much better at it and I'm so much more well-rested and more creative and I, I'm able to synthesize information, right? I mean, when you're only living and breathing tech, you are not in being innovative. You're not being creative because what creativity is, is taking two things that aren't alike and finding similarities in them, right? Like it's it's the ability to synthesize information um, and experiences. And if you, if you, I mean, in my, like, if I were building a team right now, I would definitely want people who have, you know, who are not, who do not want to work more than 50 hours a week, who do not step want. Back. Yeah, absolutely. Like those are the people that I want because I think those are the people that are going to contribute the most interesting ideas and um, the most innovative, you know, processes. Um, I just think it's like this, it's this myth of being like, you know, of high, high intelligence, low social, but like low uh, social abilities um, that create the best software. I don't think that's the case at all, but. Yeah, I agree. And well, and if you think about it, so there's a reason, like, was it recently there was a, something about Ralph Waldo Emerson or David Thoreau, like intentionally, like stepping back and leaving everything and going on walks. And, you know, that, that was, that was when they were really able to create was when they were, you know, up and away and not sitting at their desk with their, I don't know, quill and paper. And I think that still applies today. And I think even it's even more important today because we're so inundated all the time. Like, what do I do when I'm bored? I check Twitter. I'm getting more information, um, you know, and then then I go to work and and I'm, I'm learning about, you know, what what needs to happen this week or the next couple of months. And and we are always full of this information. I, I feel like it's oppressive in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're consuming it. It's the only thing that we consume. So I watched um Jim Gaffigan's Mr. Universe last night. And so funny because like he brings up this idea that, you know, we all have our McDonald's. And I think like, you know, Hacker News is McDonald's. It's the same thing every time. It's bad for your health. You feel an enormous amount of guilt after consuming it. Um, like, I love that analogy. Have, yeah. Like everything is McDonald's. Like what's your, you know, and Twitter is definitely my McDonald's. In some ways it's incredibly powerful. And so it's not, but in other ways, like we're just over consuming the same again and again and again. It's sort of like, um, it's cyclical almost in a way. And it's like, how much value is that actually adding to, you know, our lives as far as work goes? Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it is, I think tech is in a really sad state right now. Yeah. I, I'm so hopeful, though. I, I really am because we have these tools. You know, we have we have Twitter, we have um, podcasts, we have, you know, Tumblr, we have the more even playing fields, uh, you know, maybe not completely even. But I feel like, you know, I said, I think yesterday or the day before on Twitter, um, I, was, I was like, sometimes I think we're in the calm or in the storm before the calm. And sometimes I just think that it's never going to end. But I really, I really think that we are in a good place because we have, we have these conversations going. I see every day, you know, um, white men saying, you know, oh my gosh. And I think that's, that's amazing. I think we can change. Um, I think we will change. I mean, it has to, it, it has to, or, or it's just going to implode upon itself, you know? So I'm, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I really am, but it's hard right now. It's, it's not fun to be the person in the storm trying, you know, trying to batten down the hatches. 
No, absolutely. You kind of lose a piece of your sanity too. Like I talk about, I talk about this to a lot of women who have kind of been through the same, um, the same experiences as I have. And it's just sort of like, after a while, you're just like, how could people not see these as issues? You know, it gets exhausting. Um, but then again, I mean, if you do, I mean, the greatest thing ever is to be able to have that sort of support system and life outside of work and outside of your activism where you can just breathe um, and feel safe and feel supported. And luckily, I've been able to find that in a couple different places. Um, but I, I don't think we're all so lucky. And I think it's a really good thing to remember is to sort of like take care of yourself before you kind of run out of gas um, or out of momentum and sort of fighting for this kind of change. Yeah. So will you tell me a little bit about And Yet and what you do there? Yeah, totally. Um, so I've known the good folks at And Yet for a little over probably a couple of years. Um, you know, I've become sort of friends with a couple of people on their team before I joined it. Um, and I am just so shocked at how lucky I am to be a part of the company. Um, so Anyad is, we're a small ish, um, web consultancy based in Eastern Washington. So I'm a remote worker as well as like our entire design team. And, um, a lot of our developers are also remote and, um, we do, we do a lot of different things. It's so funny to talk about, um, our tagline is, uh, we want to help make good teams great. And the way that we do that is through, um, training experiences, through conferences. We also do a ton of consulting for, you know, uh, larger companies who, um, are building on top of JavaScript or Node.js too. Um, and so we do just a ton of stuff and I do specifically, uh, design and development. Um, so front end stuff. And then I also do a lot of content. Um, so a ton of writing, a ton of copywriting, a ton of copy editing and a ton of, um, UX or like sort of like content structure. Um, I love it because, uh, Adam, who is my boss is amazing. And he, <laughs> he's known me for so long. He started following me on Twitter a really long time ago. And we've always kind of talked about, uh, CSS stuff and, um, writing and we sort of have a similar skill set, And so it feels so good to be like sort of valued as a whole and not just for like one specific skill. Um, I really struggled with that at GitHub because, you know, I was hired as a designer there. Um, but because I, they, none of them really knew me, they expected me to just sort of write CSS and like that was my job, but I bring, you know, so much more to the table, um, with sort of having a creative writing background and being able and really liking that about myself. Like it's funny, like everyone loves to shame the marketer in tech, but I'm actually really proud of that side of my background and I love marketing and I love writing. And so, um, it's really cool to be at a company that really appreciates that and depends on me for that, that part of, um, you know, the process as far as like putting out web products and, um, consulting goes. So I do a ton of stuff there and I love every part of it. And the team is just, um, I sound like such a fangirl right now, but the team <laughs> is just such an amazing group of people. Um, don't worry. We're like not without our flaws, but, uh, everyone there is just so supportive. There's no weirdness. There's no like, I don't know, harboring resentment or like conspiring. Like it's just very open and people have the ability to be vulnerable with each other, which I think is such an, such something I had never experienced at another company, um, as far as being able to talk about their fears and what they're going through at home and, and not being judged for that. Um, you know, uh, we're not just focused on sort of doing work, but we're focused on how, how are we living? Like, are we living well as individuals and also, you know, um, as a team. And so, um, yeah, so far the experience has been really great. I think I've been there. Wow. I guess, 
uh, I guess like five or six months, almost six months. I think it's awesome. So um, I, I've actually emailed quite a few people for not, well, not quite a few, but several people at and yet about coming on the show. And so, you know, I've been looking at the website and I love the bios. I, I loved yeah. reading everybody's bios because it was, it was fun. You know, I, w- I was, I read every single one because it was just, it was fun to read. It was, um, it felt everyone was a little different. You know, there, it wasn't like, you know, fill in these adjectives about yourself. It was, it was individualized and the pictures were fun. And I really enjoyed just the experience of, of kind of clicking around the site. So. Yeah. um, Yeah. So the bios are interesting because really what happens with those is they're all written, I think by different people. Um, And with mine specifically, like me and Jen Turner sat down and she just basically interviewed me and asked me questions and got to know me a little better and then sort of wrote it up. I always, I really love the personality that goes into our copywriting. It's one thing I really love about us. Like I'm very used to writing for conversion or writing for, you know, click through or something like that. But with our team, like we're willing to sort of sacrifice on those more technical aspects in order to include more personality in, in who we are and how we represent ourselves online. And I, I, I really love that about our team. Yeah. Um, it was so much fun. It really Yeah. Was. We have a lot of really, really good writers and, um, I just feel really lucky to work with all of them. Very cool. Well, Julie, is there anything else you wanted to talk to me about today? I don't know. I mean, I think we covered so much. It's we really been did. really Oh god, it's been so easy talking to you. Oh, thank it's you. Like I'm just talking to a friend. It's really it's really low stress. I think we talked about so much. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head right now. So, Julie, how can people find you? So, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, at nerdcore, so that's 3 R's no E. And, um, I am on GitHub and Instagram and, um, all the things at all the things at Nerdcore. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you so much. And I, I have greatly enjoyed talking to you. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much. And if you're interested in learning more about less than or equal, you can find us on Twitter at less than or equal or go to our website, lessthanarequal.com. I also have a contact form, so if you want to add to the conversation or are interested in being a guest, please fill that out and let me know. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.